bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, October 18, 2011. I'll start this week's podcast with an update on the Super Committee. Then, I'll share the findings of a report that was released last week at our Novogratic New Market Tax Credit Investors Conference in Chicago. The report itself was commissioned by the New Markets Tax Credit Working Group. The report compares the efficiency of subsidizing qualified businesses in low-income communities between either the New Market Tax Credit Program or a comparable cash grant program. Then, I'll also update listeners on the status of New Market Tax Credit Extension legislation. In our Historic Tax Credit section, I'll share encouraging words of support for the Historic Tax Credit that were spoken last week on the floor of the House of Representatives. They were spoken by Congressman Brian Higgins. I'm also going to discuss the ongoing saga over the state historic and local housing tax credits in Missouri. Then, in our Renewable Energy Tax Credit section, I'm going to review the provisions of a bill that was introduced last week that would extend investment tax credits to offshore wind power projects. Then I'll also discuss the findings of two reports about domestic renewable energy. In our local housing tax credit section, I'll discuss the inflation-adjusted tax credit and tax and bond caps that the IRS announced last week. Then I'll review a sign-on letter that's being circulated by the affordable housing community a sign-on letter to demonstrate support for upcoming legislation. Also, I'll discuss a White House event that convened affordable housing professionals on October 12th, as well as review an invitation from HUD to suggest topics for future housing research. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, last week, while most House members were in their home states for a district work period, Six congressmen remained in Washington, namely the six House members of the Joint Committee on Deficit Reduction, or the Super Committee. Members of the Super Committee have been meeting regularly, albeit in private. Now, the newspaper Politico and other sources were reporting last week that the Super Committee did meet with the Gang of Six. That's the bipartisan group of senators that proposed a plan this summer that would cut as much as $3.7 trillion from the federal debt. That's $3.7 trillion over a decade. Now, the Gang of Six includes three Democratic senators and three Republicans. The Democrats, Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, Mark Warner of Virginia, and Kent Conrad of North Dakota. The Republicans, Senator Mike Crapo of Idaho, Tom Coburn of Oklahoma, and Saxby Chambliss of Georgia. Now, meanwhile, on Wednesday, the same day that the Gang of Six met with the Super Committee, Gang of Six member... Senator Tom Coburn said that the Supercommittee should set a deadline for Congress to review the tax code. Specifically, Senator Coburn told MSNBC that earmarks in the current tax code, or tax expenditures, are partially responsible for the stalled American economy. Bear in mind that Senator Coburn did release his report back in black uh, earlier this year that would cut about $9 trillion over 10 years 
including significantly uh, eliminating a number, a billion dollars worth of tax expenditures. Now, the Super Committee will continue to meet this week while the Senate's away for a state work period. Also of note, tomorrow, Wednesday, October 26th, at 10 o'clock in the morning, the committee is going to hold its first public hearing in a month. This public hearing is entitled Overview, Discretionary Outlays, Security and Non-Security. The key witness will be Dr. Doug Elmendorf. He's the director of the Congressional Budget Office and did speak at an earlier hearing in front of the super committee. I also note, before I move on to other sections, that the Ways and Means Committee is still expected to release a discussion draft on certain aspects of corporate tax reform. Now, the Ways and Means Republicans are the key proponents of this draft, and it's going to cover international tax as well as other aspects of corporate tax reform. There is an expectation that this report will suggest a 25% corporate tax rate, but not necessarily discuss how to get there. But it will spend a considerable amount of time discussing international tax issues, including moving to a territorial tax system. There may also be some reference to a repatriation tax holiday. We'll send out a tweet as soon as the information becomes available. In New Market Tax Credit news, last week, the New Market Tax Credit Working Group released the results of an analysis, an analysis that counters the suggestion that a cash grant program could more efficiently deliver subsidies to qualified businesses in low-income communities, more efficiently than the New Market Tax Credit program does. Now, in a report in March, the Government Accountability Office, or GAO, had suggested that Congress consider converting the New Market Tax Credit program to a cash grant program. The GAO's report is based on an analysis that ignores several elements of the tax credit, as well as the additional costs associated with a cash grant program. After taking those considerations into account, Nova Graphing Company did find that with a conservative estimate of $0.68 per credit, the net benefit provided by the New Market Tax Credit is greater than that calculated for a comparable cash grant program. Moreover, as the price per credit rises, the net benefit of the tax credit rises as well. As such, Nova Graphing Company, along with the New Market Tax Credit Working Group, believe that Congress should consider enhancements to the current New Market Tax Credit program rather than converting it to a cash grant. Now, on the statutory side, Congress should consider allowing the New Market Tax Credit to offset the alternative minimum tax. Then on the regulatory side, the Internal Revenue Service should issue guidance that in certain situations, New Market's Tax Credit recapture is proportional to the degree of noncompliance and it's not an absolute 100% recapture. The Working Group's report is called NMTC Program Outperforms Comparable Cash Grant Program. And the report is available for download at www.newmarketscredits.com. The download is free, so you can go there and download a PDF. Now, I encourage you also to send an email to cpas at novaco.com with your thoughts about the analysis. And if you have any questions about the New Market Task Credit Working Group or the report, please contact my partner, Brad Elphick, in our Novograd and Company Atlanta office. Now, I also want to share with you an extension update. At last week's New Market Task Credit Conference, 
Congressman Richard Neal spoke, and he spoke optimistically about the chances for an extension of the new market tax credit. Congressman Neal spoke to attendees on Friday and indicated he thought the chances were good that the program could be extended. Furthermore, on October 14th, Congressman Brian Higgins actually introduced a second new market tax credit extension bill, H.R. 3224. It would extend the new market tax credit program through 2016. Now, what's unique about his legislation, the second extension bill, is it would fund the program at a level of $10 billion each year. That's double the amount of the annual authority proposed by H.R. 2655. That's the New Market Tax Credit Extension Act of 2011, with a lead sponsor being Congressman Neal. Meanwhile, speaking of Congressman Neal's extension legislation, the New Market Tax Credit Coalition reports that seven new co-sponsors have signed on. The new co-sponsors are Congressman Alexander, Baca, Bishop, Chandler, Ellison, Ryan, and Schmidt. I also wanted to note that in speaking at our conference last Friday, Congressman Richard Neal did speak favorably towards the use of new market tax credits in connection with hotels. Now, hotel investments have received a lot of attention since the Bloomberg article, so it was nice to hear Congressman Neal embrace the use of new markets with hotel investments. Turning to historic tax credit news, we also have Congressman Brian Hickens expressing his support for historic tax credits and preservation. On October 18th, he spoke on the floor of the House of Representatives to recognize the National Trust for Historic Preservation's 65th National Preservation Conference. The conference was held in his community of Western New York last week. In his remarks, Congressman Higgins said that historic preservation efforts in Buffalo and Western New York demonstrate the importance of partnerships between the federal government and the private sector. He said, and I'm quoting here, without these partnerships, many preservation projects would never get off the ground. Federal tools, like the Historic Preservation Tax Credit and the New Markets Tax Credit, bring builders, investors, and development professionals together, and they have the capacity to turn around entire communities. Close quote. He noted that he supports legislation that would extend the New Market Tax Credit program and authorize it at $5 billion a year. He also said he supports expanding, that's right, expanding the Historic Preservation Tax Credit because he has seen in Buffalo how cost-effective and successful such programs can be. Now, I'd also like to turn briefly to the state of Missouri and give you an update on the status of state tax credits in Missouri. Now, despite consensus in the Missouri Senate that no agreement can be reached on a tax credit and economic development package, the Missouri House still voted last week to keep the special session alive. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch reports that at House Speaker Steve Tilley's request, the House adopted a motion asking the Senate to appoint five members to a joint conference committee that would attempt to reconcile differences in the bills passed by the two chambers. Now, as we reported in previous podcasts, the sticking point remains whether or not to place seven-year sunsets on the state's historic preservation and low-income housing tax credits. In short, the Senate insists on sunsets, and the House has refused them. If no deal emerges, and we don't expect a deal to emerge, the special session will end November 5th. Of note, I wanted to share with you a discussion that uh, U.S. Bank Corp. 
Community Redevelopment Corporation Chairman Zach Boyers told Post-Dispatch columnist David Nicholas last week. In this conversation or this interview, Zach Boyer said that potential investors don't know when or whether the sunset idea will resurface. And Zach was noting that this uncertainty may have a chilling effect on investment. Specifically, in speaking to Post-Dispatch columnist David Nicholas, Zach said, and I quote, we need politicians to be very sensitive to the impact that words have, even if legislation doesn't pass. The most important thing about investing anywhere is predictability. Close quote. So we'll uh, keep monitoring the state of state long filling tax credit and historic tax credits in the state of Missouri, and we'll send out tweets and make other updates as the situation warrants. In renewable energy tax credit news, a bipartisan bill that would extend the investment tax credit to offshore large wind power projects was introduced in the House of Representatives last week. On October 18th, New Jersey Representatives Bill Pascrell Jr., a Democrat, and Frank Lobiondo, a Republican, introduced H.R. 3238, the Incentivizing Offshore Wind Power Act. In announcing the bill, Representatives Lobiondo and Pascrell cited the clean energy and jobs that offshore wind power could generate. The bill charges Treasury with establishing and awarding an investment tax credit for investment in offshore wind projects. Now, the legislation defines an offshore facility as any facility located in the inland navigable waters of the United States, which would include the Great Lakes, or in the coastal waters of the United States, including territorial seas of the U.S., exclusive economic zone of the U.S., and the outer continental shelf of the United States. The bill itself provides a 30% investment tax credit for investment in the first 3,000 megawatts of offshore wind projects. Once the credits are awarded, companies would have five years to place an operating wind facility in service. And companies cannot receive other production or investment tax credits in addition to the offshore wind investment tax credit, essentially no double dipping. Now, law from Nixon Peabody noted in a release that they sent out that the five-year extension of the ITC for offshore wind projects was proposed in recognition of the longer siting, permitting, and finance process required for offshore renewable energy projects. That process is currently estimated to take between five to seven years. The bill itself does call for Treasury to work with the Secretary of Energy and the Secretary of the Interior to develop and implement the tax credit. The measure also calls for the Treasury Secretary to review the tax credits that are allocated at least every four years. In case you're wondering, H.R. 3238 is a companion bill to Senate Bill 1397. That bill was introduced by Senators Tom Carper of Delaware and Olympia Snow of Maine in late July. You can find the text of both bills on the legislation page at the Renewable Energy Tax Credit Resource Center. This can be found at www.energytaxcredit.com. The investment tax credits discussed here, as well as many other hot topics, will be discussed at the Financing Renewable Energy Conference November 17th and 18th in Washington, D.C. I'll be there as well. I'll be moderating the Washington Wire panel, so I do hope to see you in D.C. on November 17th and 18th. And you can visit novoco.com to learn more about the conference, and you can also register online there. 
Now, in related news, North America's installed wind energy capacity is expected to double by 2017. This according to a new report from Pike Research. Pike Research forecasts that approximately $820 billion will be invested globally in onshore and offshore wind turbines between now, 2011, and 2017. Pike Research says North America's share of this total is expected to be about $145 billion, or just under 20%. The research firm reports that one of the key factors for renewed growth in the wind power industry is the development of offshore resources. The Interstate Renewable Energy Council also last week released its annual Updates and Trends Report. This report covers regulatory issues, policies and incentives, and installation and market data, among other things. In the report, the Council finds that despite budget crises and rising unemployment, state policymakers continue to support policies that foster growth in green jobs. The report says that almost every state, actually 45, 90% of the states to be exact, plus the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico modified solar policies or programs in some way. The 2011 Annual Update and Trends Report is available online. Simply go to www.irecusa.org. That's www.irecusa.org. Turning to low-income housing tax credit news, last week the Internal Revenue Service released the inflation-adjusted low-income housing tax credit and private activity bond caps for 2012. So for calendar year 2012, The amount that each state will use to calculate their allocable low-income housing tax credits will be the greater of $2.20 per resident or $2.525 million. Now, these amounts represent $0.05 higher per capita over 2011 and $60,000 as the small state minimum. The amount used to calculate the state ceiling for the volume cap, for the bond volume cap, in 2012 is the greater of $95 per state resident, or $277 million, approximately. The per capita amount here is unchanged since last year, but the amount of the small state minimum is an increase of $6.7 million. The 2012 cap increases were announced in Revenue Procedure 2011-52, and you can find a copy of it online at www.taxcredithousing.com. Now, turning to the action sign-on letter. Last week, the Housing Advisor Group encouraged its members to add their support to a sign-on letter drafted by the Affordable Rental Housing Action Campaign. One of the groups, this is the action group's priorities, is to make permanent the 9% local housing tax credit floor, as well as extending that treatment to the 4% tax credit for acquisitions. Now, this would only be acquisitions that are generating their tax credits through an allocation of tax credits and not through tax and bond financing. The Housing Advisory Group reports that Senators Maria Cantwell and Olympia Snow and Congressman Pat Tiberi and Richie Neal are preparing to introduce legislation that would accomplish this goal, that is, extending the 9% floor. Now, prior to introducing the legislation, though, these lead sponsors would like to see more of their colleagues and both the Senate Finance Committee and the House Ways and Means Committee join in as original co-sponsors of the legislation. Such co-sponsorship would not only indicate broad support for the legislation, but also 
the needed sense of urgency. Now, at last count, there are more than 190 organizations that had signed on to the consensus letter. Now, if you'd like to indicate your organization's support to sign on to the national consensus letter, you can contact Peter Lawrence with Enterprise Community Partners. You can email Peter at plawrence at enterprisecommunity.org. That's P-L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E at enterprisecommunity.org. Last week, also, the National Council of State Housing Agency was reporting that on October 12th, it had participated in a White House event on affordable housing. It was called a convening. And we know of a number of groups that were participants in this convening. Now, NCSJ itself noted that several HFAs, housing finance agencies, also participated at the invitation of their HUD regional offices. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development organized the forum in order to engage key stakeholders on the results of the 20 regional convenings it had held this past year. The fiscal year 2012 budget, HUD budget, as well as the American Jobs Act, were also discussed. According to NCSHA, more than 160 stakeholders from around the country did attend the convening. If you'd like to review NCSHA's summary of the event, as well as including the remarks given by HUD Secretary Sean Donovan, simply go online to www.nccha.org. Now, do you have thoughts as to what HUD user should be researching? HUD's Office of Policy Development and Research is in the process of formulating its research agenda for the next five to ten years. And last week, they invited input from the community development and affordable housing community as to what should be on its agenda. HUD user received more than 600 suggestions and ideas in response to a similar request last year. So looking ahead, HUD asked, what do we need to know to improve knowledge gaps that are affecting the execution of good housing and community development policy and practice? Now, interested parties are encouraged to think critically about this question, particularly as it relates to four targeted topic areas, home ownership and finance, rental housing, housing as a platform, as well as communities. To ensure appropriate consideration, ideas and suggestions should be submitted no later than November 4th. You can find examples of PDNR's currently envisioned research online at www.huduser.org. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Before I go, I would like to wish the Lungsling Tax Credit a happy 25th anniversary. It was 25 years ago, last Saturday, the local housing tax credit was created by the Tax Reform Act of 1986. And, among other things, next week I will discuss some of the trends and highlights from some project-level audit reports that have been released by the Treasury's Office of the Inspector General. Specifically, the Treasury OIG did audit several 1603 renewable energy projects this last summer, and each of these reports discusses their findings. So I will cover that next week. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novogratik.com slash podcast or by subscribing to the Novogratik Report on tax credits and iTunes. 
Novogratik & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with 13 offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novago.com.